Thank you, Pat. And we know she's not lip syncing because the record... You know, these, um, these last few Sundays left in the season of Eastertide, our lectionary readings uh, are pretty much anchored in the Gospel of John. And uh, those assigned readings have us looking at some of what has been called the I Am statements of Jesus. Uh, they're, they're found in John's writings. And Jesus actually started out with them in John chapter 6, verse 35, uh, when he fed over 5,000 people. And right after that miracle, he told them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never be hungry. And then in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus and his disciples were at the temple to celebrate the festival of lights, to celebrate Hanukkah, uh, he announced, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Uh, in John chapter 10, as Jesus' disciples are looking out over the hills where the shepherds were herding their sheep, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and will find pasture. And, and if you remember also in last week's message from that reading, Jesus went on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. At the, the grave of his friend Lazarus in John chapter 11, Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life, as he called his beloved friend out of his tomb. And then later, uh, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus warned his apostles about his coming arrest and death, but they, they really couldn't understand what he meant until finally Thomas said to him, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. How, how could we possibly know the way? And our Lord took that opportunity to teach them by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And, and, and you can see that in, in all of these I am statements, uh, we're connected with some kind of external circumstance that was going on around Jesus at the time that he made them. Because like any good teacher, Jesus used everyday events as a springboard uh, for teaching eternal truths. And, and today's reading is no different as Jesus gives his men the seventh and final of the I Am statements from John chapter 15. So if you're following along, we're going to be reading, I hope you have your Bibles with you. I invite you to, even though it's on the screen, to read it along uh, in your own Bible. Uh, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. And uh, this is what he writes. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I gave you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me, I throw away like a useless branch and withers. And such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So that's, brothers and sisters, that is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you so much for this sacred living word. We thank you for the opportunity to open it as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask, as we always do, Lord, that you would lend us your Holy Spirit to write it on our hearts, to teach us the message that you have from it. And we ask you, Father, in these next few moments uh, to let us see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. 
So, uh, just kind of by way of context here, our Lord Jesus made this final I am statement immediately after the Last Supper. And if you remember, the Bible tells us with that sacred meal completed that Christ and his men sang a, sang a hymn, they sang a psalm, and they headed out, uh, headed out of the city and down into the Kidron Valley. And if you guys are, have been to Jerusalem, you know up the opposite slope to an olive press inside a garden called Gethsemane. And as they walked along the trail to get there, the disciples would pass through the vineyards that surrounded the, the city with their gnarled grapevines that would have still been showing the scars from their springtime pruning. And hey, maybe Jesus even pointed them out as they walked along. Perhaps he, he turned to his disciples and said something like, uh, guys, you know how Israel, since its earliest days, has been pictured as a vine, which is to produce refreshing fruit. Uh, well, she failed. But now I am come to make that right. Uh, I'm the authentic vine. I am the true and genuine one. I'm the fulfillment of all that that symbol only represents because I am the true vine. Uh, and here, just like in all of his other I am statements, Jesus is using a word picture. He's using a, a mental image that would have been very familiar to his men because the depiction of vines and branches is deeply rooted in Israel's history. If you remember, uh, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is called a vine, uh, or sometimes a vineyard. Like back in Psalm 80, which uh, beginning in verse 7, which says, uh, Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us, only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine transplanted us into your land you cleared it cleared the ground for us and we took root and filled the land our shade covered the mountains our branches covered the mighty cedars but now why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass may steal our fruit come back we beg you O god of heaven's armies look down from heaven and see our plight take care of this grapevine I'll give you just one more quick example from Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, Isaiah writes, Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. It says, My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle he built a watchtower, carved a wine press in the nearby rocks, and then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter. And now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of Heaven's armies. People of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. And so you can see by those readings that, that Israel was supposed to be God's vine, his vineyard, and they were to be a people who, uh, whose lives produced the fruit of holiness and righteousness among the nations for God's glory. The problem was that uh, Israel had only produced bad fruit rather than good fruit, and that resulted in discipline, discipline in the form of divine judgment upon God's people, uh, ones that came from attacks by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And then finally, when our Lord Jesus comes on to the scene of human history, uh, Israel still hasn't learned his lesson. 
So it's still experiencing the results of God's discipline, but now they're living under Roman rule and under Roman dominance of the land of God's promises. But the good news is God hasn't given up on his people because Jesus comes now and steps into humanity's place as the fulfillment of Israel's prophetic existence. An existence whose twofold purpose was to produce spiritual fruit that would point the world to God and that would point forward to the Messiah that was to come, the Messiah who would succeed where they had failed and who would produce the fruit that God expected. And the Messiah would make it possible for them and by extension for us as branches to grow the fruit that he's looking for. And reminding us that uh, as his branches, we are solely dependent on Christ for life and for nourishment and for provision. And, and, and church, even if you don't have a green thumb, there, there couldn't be an easier illustration to understand, right? Uh, when a branch is connected to a vine, it'll grow. And there'll be fruit. And the garden will maintain it and it'll produce more. If a branch isn't connected to a vine, what happens to it? It'll dry up. Yeah, it dies. And it withers, and it's not worth having around, so it gets tossed into the burn pile. So the pastor can burn it up to, you know, satisfy his, his, his fire bug. <laughs> right? But see, Jesus says the exact thing about his branches. That we, his followers, who are vitally connected to and dependent on him will produce the fruits of righteousness and holiness. And those around us won't be able to help but to see that in our lives. And those who have no real connection to the Master, well, their lives will just as easily show the withering effects from the blight of their willful independence. But we'll get back to that in a minute. Because I think this is the right place to stop and consider just exactly what the fruit is that our text is talking about. So, How does the Bible define the fruit? that we the branches are supposed to produce. What, what exactly is it? Well, in this immediate context, in my opinion, the fruit our Lord means is not defined as evangelism or, or in bringing people to Christ, as important as that is. But rather, it's the fruit of a changed life, of a changed character that's fed by the source, the source that produces in us the fruits of the Spirit uh, that the Bible tells us in Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, are. Uh, just let's read it together. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and so faith, sorry, I got it backwards. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, and so you see, this is not a passage on gaining salvation, but on living it out. It's a passage on demonstrating its inner reality through outward actions because those good branches whom Jesus made reference to are people that have already been reborn. So this is about application. This is about not just talking the talk, but walking the walk and doing it joyfully. Because if we are connected, then we're content and we're satisfied. And as true Christians, we're going to want more of that connection, not more of what exalts us personally not more of what fulfills our own wants and our own desires but his uh, as one author has said to be content in christ is the greatest accomplishment we could desire right to be content in christ is the greatest accomplishment we could desire because when we're plugged into the vine we thrive and we live more fully so so jesus says if you remain in me you will bear much fruit so are you are you if you claim to be a follower of Christ here today, ask yourself, am, 
uh, am, is my life producing fruit in keeping with righteousness and holiness? Because real branches who are really connected to the true vine will be producing real fruit. Not maybe, but will be. Right? Uh, now, having said that, not, not everyone is in the same stage of production, no, no matter who you are. Uh, or, or where you are in your journey of the Christian life, there's always going to be those folks out ahead of us in Christ's vineyard. Uh, p- people who we should be emulating. And there'll always be those who lag behind. I mean, they, they, they are producing fruit, but their crop is just enough to get by on with very little left over to share. But somewhere, somewhere in between those two extremes, we should all be demonstrating the fruit of a life that's connected to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, otherwise, can you really call yourself a Christian? Can you? That, that's, that's what I was alluding to earlier when I said we get back to it, about those independent branches who claim to be a part of the vine, claim to be a member of a community, but who, when it comes right down to it, don't really have a connection at all. And that's important because churches are really dangerous, false teaching that has infiltrated the church over the last 25 or 30 years. Uh, an insidious kind of cultural construct that claims a person can be saved by Christ and become a part of a church but not be expected to demonstrate any type of change in their lives. Because they think, well, you know, surely if God is just love and and warm, fuzzy feelings and and all just forgiveness, then, well, just as surely those other teachings on morality in the Bible are just optional too, right? Because, hey, I I can come to God just as I am. And well, I guess that, that, that is partially true because you can come to God however you are and wherever you are. He just loves you way too much to leave you there, right? He loves you way too much to leave you the way you came. Uh, and and you, can, you can shout over and, and over again until you turn as purple as a bunch of grapes. I am the one who runs my life. I am the one who decides what I do and who I do it with. I am the one who determines my destiny. And then when you're done... With all of that, you can sit down, pat yourself on the back for how clever you've been. That is, at least until the, the gardener comes by and says, no, I, I am. I, I'm the one. That's why Jesus said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they'll produce even more. And Jesus' meaning here is plain, and it's that in this world, you're either one of two categories. You're either getting cleaned up and pruned, or you're getting cut off. And Jesus is saying uh, in our passage today, clearly and without apology, the difference between real branches and false branches is that real branches will produce the fruit of righteousness, while false branches produce nothing at all and removed and are burned. And, And church, that wasn't a popular message in Jesus' day. And, and it's not too much more popular in ours either, is it? Because let's face it, nobody, including me, ever wants to be told they're doing anything wrong. Just ask my wife. <laughs> right? But guys, if, if you attend, or if the church that you attend, or the, the God, quote-unquote, you listen to, always agrees with you, and always validates all of your decisions, and never makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable from time to time, or never pricks your conscience, you may be worshiping a God of your own making. A God not so very different than the golden calf in the wilderness, because, church, the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is proclaimed in the pages of this sacred scripture, always corrects and always disciplines his children. 
and he does it for the sake of their life and growth and spiritual health. Just like we read in Hebrews 12.10, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Yes, it's painful, but it pays off. That's why that, that verse continues. There's no discipline that seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And later on, however, it produces a fruit, or harvest rather, of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So you see, his pruning proves that, that he's our loving parent. And what is that pruning process? Was well, the Father cutting out of our lives those things that hinder us from being fruitful. As the Father's pruning knife, like an expert gardener, is ready to cut away anything in our lives that is keeping us at a distance from Him, even if that's painful at times. Because the truth is, the Father may hurt you, but He'll never harm you. His pruning is for your good and for His glory. And yes, it may take away your temporary happiness, but will, it will enhance your holiness, which is God's ultimate goal. And even though all that sounds pretty tough, Christ promises He will never leave us to face it alone. That's why He said in John fifteen five, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in Me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from Me, you can do nothing. And I guess that really is a, a, a two-edged sword because while that's a message of strength for those of us in the vine, it's a confirmation of the futility of human reasoning and human effort outside of Christ. The Christ who is using difficulties to prune us and to make us more fruitful and to advance His kingdom because the true branches grow stronger under the pressure of the pruning shears. <clears throat> and so can we if we're really in the vine. So are you. Are you in the vine or are you a withered branch and maybe you don't even know it yet? Are, are, you, are you being cleansed and pruned or are you about to be cut off completely? So how is God pruning you today and what type of fruit are you yielding? Or are you refusing to yield to the hand of the gardener? If you are, consider what Jesus endured to save you, what he endured to make you holy. Is whatever it is that you're clinging on to for momentary happiness of more value than the hours Christ spent on the cross to pay your debt? Or is Christ your everything? Is he your I am? Or are you still trying to be your own? And so I want you to ask yourself as I close here quickly before we go to the Lord's table, is he your bread of life? The one who spiritually sustains you? Is he your light of the world to illuminate his will for your everyday life? Is he the gate that has given you free and unlimited access to his kingdom? Is he your good shepherd who gave himself to pay for your sins? Is he your life so that whether you die before his return or you're taken alive in it, that your eternal life is secure in him? Is he really your way and your truth? Or would you rather really make your own way? Are you connected to the vine and growing in genuine gratitude for all that he has done for us? Or are you just filling your wine press with the grapes of his wrath? Because you see, Christ is the true vine and without him we can do nothing. We are nothing. And like a branch pruned from the vine will surely die. And so brothers and sisters, as we go to the Lord's table, I urge you, stay connected to Christ and live. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, is truly right in our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you by the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love 
keep us connected in the vine so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this time and this place that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. So remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.